You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Okay, so let's do a little recap here. And one of the reasons I want to do this is because there were some good things that we shared that I want to make sure you didn't miss. And another reason is because I, if you miss some of this, I want you to see what you missed, and hopefully you'll go back and listen to those sermons that you missed, okay? So here, first thing, you can't live your life reckless, but there are times nothing less will do, okay? You can't be reckless 100% of the time in your life, but there are circumstances and situations where nothing less is going to help except being reckless. Some of you are in those situations right now. Some of you have been in all this sermon series and you're still like I don't understand why it's not happening well maybe it's time to be reckless in some areas okay and this morning we'll talk about you've been talking about it all all this time I want to talk about one more area where you need to be reckless okay also we need to be reckless in our truth okay that doesn't mean that we need to be reckless whether we tell the truth or not no we need to be reckless in making sure we tell the truth uh, you know, I think if somebody asks me a question, they want to know the truth. So if you, want to know the, if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask me because I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to lie. And neither are you, okay? So we need to be reckless about how we share the truth and opportunities that we get to share the truth. Also, we need to be reckless uh, in, in, in what we rely upon. Don't become relying on a habit to get through your circumstances. Instead, rely on the Holy Spirit. There's your scripture to back that one up. If you missed that sermon, you need to hear that, okay? Don't put your confidence and trust or, or, or even use habits or other things to get you through your tough times. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit that you're relying on for those things, okay? Because what we normally do is we just do what's easy. Well, what have you tried beyond easy? If you're sitting here saying, wait, it's still, it's still not working for me, Pastor. I've been listening to all these sermons. But what have you tried beyond easy? Have you just been doing the easy thing? Have you just been doing what, what, what's comfortable and, and what doesn't you know, ruffle any feathers? What have you tried beyond easy? Maybe it's time for you to do something beyond easy. Next slide. Things change when you learn it's not that you've got to, but that you get to. That working alongside with God, being in the middle of his purpose for your life, walking that path that, that he has for you, you get to change lives alongside God. You get, to, you get to challenge the status quo around you. You get to impact lives, your life and the life of your family, your friends, our communities. Even We get to impact the future of the world when we're working in conjunction with God. It's not that we've got to. It's that we get to, and, and things will change. Your whole attitude will change when you understand that you get to be a partner with God. And lastly, being reckless for God is giving up what is certain for the hope of something more amazing than can be imagined. Did you get that? That's what being reckless is all about because when you're reckless for God, when you're reckless in God's will, you're giving up the stuff that you know, like the stuff that you have confidence in, that, that stuff that, okay, I know and I have confidence in this and I know it's sure and all that, but you're giving up that for something more amazing than you can even imagine when, when, when you start being reckless in your life and you're living for, and living for God. And here's the thing, okay? So that's, that's kind of a wrap. If you missed any of those, go back and listen to the sermons, okay? Uh, because those were just, I, I, I pulled out a bunch and I had to cross out some just because there were just so many of them. But those are just a few of the highlights. But here's where I want to go today. 
I w first of all, I want to say this, just, just, just lay this out, because you may, you may have really been thinking, well, some of that doesn't sound real reckless. Well, I've struggled a little bit in preaching because, you know, in reality, in reality, let's go ahead and read it together. Say it the way it's on the screen. I'm sorry, next slide, please, Chris. Next slide. There we go. In reality, recklessly following God isn't reckless at all. In reality, it isn't. Because when we're walking with God's direction, no action is reckless. It is purposeful. It is calculated. You know, and it doesn't mean that, okay, I figured all this out, and so I'm going to be reckless. For well, that really wouldn't be reckless, would it? No, what I'm talking about is God has this already figured out. He, he's already purposefully decided what best path there is for you. He's already calculated everything about your life and what, what, what possibly could happen to you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says he has an awesome dream for you, an awesome plan to give you a future and a hope. He's already figured this out, what is best for you. And so really recklessly following God isn't reckless at all. And this is the step that we need to take. This is the step that every one of us needs to take, is to, to go in our faith to a place where we, we really get this, that, that having a, a reckless faith for God is the absolute least reckless thing there is. It's because God already has a plan, and he knows what's going to happen, and he knows what, what, how people are going to respond to the things that you do or the things that he leads you to do. He already knows all of that. So following after him is the least reckless thing you, you can do, even though people around you oftentimes will think you're being reckless when you choose to do something. And they'll say, well, why would you do that? And you say, well, God told me to do that, or I feel like this is what I should do. And they'll think it's reckless. They'll, they'll believe it's reckless, but in reality, it's the least reckless thing you do. So I challenge you, go there in your faith. Take that next step to understand to under, and to believe this, that me following God Recklessly, as the world looks at it, is the least reckless thing I could possibly do in my life. And here's where I want to take you today. The last thing I want to challenge you with is to recklessly chase after Jesus Christ. Recklessly chase after Him, okay? And I want to share some things with you about how you do that by uh, talking about areas in your life to do that. So recklessly chase Jesus for your family, okay? Recklessly chase Jesus for your family. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Uh, one of the stories, and, and we talked a little bit about this in an earlier one of these sermons. In Luke chapter 8, verse 41, it says, Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. Okay, so the story here is Jairus has a daughter who is sick. She is so sick, she's actually going to pass away in the middle of the story. Okay, if you don't know the story. She's going to die. But Jesus... Uh, uh, Go ahead and blow it for you if you don't know the end of the story. Jesus is going to raise her back to life from the dead. So an awesome story, right? But you know how this all happens? Jairus does two very important things that are right here in this verse. Two very important things. Can you figure out what the first one is? The first one is he chased Jesus, right? Uh, he, he found out Jesus was in town, and he chased him down. He fell at his feet, and he said, he said my daughter is sick. She's dying, and, and you've got to heal her. And so he chased after Jesus. But he did something else. There was something else he did. He didn't just chase after Jesus, but he brought Jesus home. He didn't just, just you know, it wasn't just a, a Sunday morning chase. So let me find out some information about Jesus. Is he went to get Jesus and bring Jesus home. Now listen, we, we bring a lot of stuff into our homes, right? Some good stuff and some not so good stuff. But what our homes need, what our families need, 
more than anything is they need more of Jesus you know they don't need more stuff they don't need more of this and all this all the stuff that we spend all of our time trying to trying to bring into our homes they don't need more of that they need more of Jesus you know, now there's, there's, there's some, some good and some bad about a lot of stuff, you know, around us. And, and I, you know, thinking about this again this week, Lord, right here in the middle of this sermon, thinking about it at this point, you know, like our Bibles, my Bible's laying over there in the, in the, the chair by where I sit, you know. You got your Bible with you today? I mean, if I ask you to show me your Bible, most of you would raise your cell phone, right? You know, your smartphone. And, you know, that's an awesome thing, really. I mean, I don't bring like a, a printed copy of the Bible with me to church. I own several of them. Uh, you know, I actually own a bunch of them because I've always had a hard time throwing one away. Even if it's falling apart, you know, well, this page right here that's falling apart, I have a hard time throwing it away because, you know, somebody, that may be the page somebody needs to find one day or something. So I got a bunch of Bibles, but I don't carry them around with me anymore. And here it is, that's really an awesome thing because that means anyone in the world who has a smartphone has access to the Bible. That's awesome, isn't it? I, I guess the negative with that, though, is, is that because we use our smartphones for our Bible, we don't have a bunch of Bibles, like, really laying around the house now. You know, they're mostly in boxes or stuck in a closet somewhere or something, so we don't see them. Now, is that important? I, I think sometimes it is, because I think one of, one, of the, one of the problems maybe here is, is when your kids are watching you read the Bible, they don't know if you're reading the Bible or checking Facebook or playing uh, Panda Pop, or so that's one of my, my granddaughter's favorites, and she did get me hooked on it for a little while also, but I got delivered thanks to that habit sermon I preached a few weeks ago, right? And, uh, you know, but, uh, they, they don't know what it is, or if you're texting somebody, or you're reading somebody's text, they don't know what you're doing right there. I mean, it's important, you know, if you want to reach your family, it's important for them to know that you've got connection with God, that you're reading your Bible and doing those kinds of things. You've got to find ways to bring Jesus home. Not just come meet him on Sunday. You got to find ways to take him home with you. You know, like, uh, you know, it's, you know, I remember that, you know, it used to be, and, and th thank God things have changed now, but, you know, it used to be uh, the, the religious art. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, religious art that most churches had hanging in, you know, in their foyers and things, in their hallways and everything. I mean, have you, you ever seen religious art from the 1960s? I mean, you know, Jesus looks like he just broke up with his girlfriend hanging on the cross, you know. And I, I, you ever seen any of those? I've seen a bunch of them because as pastor, when I first started pastoring in the 80s and early 90s, let me tell you, I threw away or hid a lot of religious art when I went in to be pa pastors of places and got in trouble with a lot of people because, well, sister so-and-so donated that when her husband died or whatever 50 years ago. And I say, well, yeah, it looks 50 years old because it's still, it's yellowing and all that. And I took a lot of that stuff and tried to replace it with something because there's, there's there's better stuff out there now. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like how Christian music was, you know, when it first kind of began moving into contemporary Christian music, you know. At first we had, we had Striper, and thank God we've moved on beyond that, even though I did have a couple of guys really jump on me about getting on Striper after the first service, you know. But, you know, and thank God for where it's at now, and we get to bring some of that in, you know, and, and all of that. We get and it's better you know and so so maybe 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 you've got some places maybe you don't have any religious art but you know there's some good stuff you can hang in your in your houses now there's some good things maybe you need to take down your you know your 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 velvet elvis picture you know and and hang something that says something like jeremiah 29 11 it, you know but you need to i don't know what it is that you need to do but somehow you need to find a way to not just meet jesus on sunday morning 
You need to go to the next step and find a way to bring him to your house. Every single, every single way that you can find to bring him home for your family. If you want things to change with your family, you've got to find a way to bring Jesus home to your family. Okay, so we need to be chasing Jesus by, by bringing him home. We also need to be chasing Jesus not just for our family. We need to be chasing him for our futures. And every one of us has a future. I know some of you might say, well, I don't have a future. Well, what you really mean is you have a future. It just doesn't look very good. It looks pretty bleak, right? But you still have a future. As bad as it may look to you, you have a future. And Jesus Christ wants, he wants you to have a great and awesome future. So uh, here's another story, all right? Luke chapter 18, verse 40. This is a story about blind Bartimaeus. I preached about him just a few weeks ago also in the middle of this series. And uh, so I won't spend a lot of time on what I said earlier about that. But there's something else I want to point out to you here, okay? Let's read this verse, and then I'll tell you a little bit of the story. When Jesus, heard, when Jesus heard blind Bartimaeus crying out to him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. So here's what's going on is Jesus comes into the city of Jericho, and Bartimaeus, who's blind, he, he begins crying out for Jesus to heal him. And all the people say, Shh, be quiet, you're embarrassing us, you know, that kind of thing. We talked about that in that service. And, and then he started crying out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he called for him to come. Now, it's important to remember, okay, that, that Jesus already heard, he probably heard him the first time because he knew that blind Bartimaeus was there even before he called out. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew, hey, I'm going to Jericho today, and I know one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to heal a blind man named Bartimaeus. Jesus already knew all this, but he waited for Bartimaeus to call out, and he waited for him to call out at least a second time, maybe as an example to me or you to realize that we've got to do whatever it takes to chase after Jesus. Okay? And for you, that may be something different for me, just like I was talking about finding a way to bring Jesus home. So for you, chasing after Jesus may be a different thing from, than, than for me because, you know what, uh, you might not have been chasing Jesus for as long as I've been chasing Jesus. There are people in this room right now who've been chasing Jesus a lot longer than I've been chasing Jesus. And so chasing after Jesus may be different for all of us for whatever reason, but like for Barnabas, it was definitely different. He couldn't, he was a blind man. He couldn't go running down the road to try and catch up with Jesus. The only way he could chase after him was with his voice. And so that's what he did, is he yelled out to Jesus. And when they told him to be quiet, he yelled out some more. And then, you know, then Jesus cried, sent some people over to get him. And here's the next thing that he did, is Bartimaeus, uh, he connected or allowed himself to be led by some other people to take him further in this chase after Jesus, to take him further than he was able to go by himself. And we all need to get to that place understanding also in that place and that understanding also is that we need to also allow other people to help us go further than we're able to go all by ourselves. You know, maybe it'll be a prayer team member after service that you'll connect with that'll pray with you the rest of this week and you'll be able to come back the next Sunday and say, hey, let me tell you about the miracle that God did. Maybe, maybe it's a, a prayer partner that you've met someplace in, in the church or something, or maybe it's a small group that you join and, and you're being a part of and that, that they can start helping you pray over something. But you, you need to connect with those people. If you, wanna, if you want something to change about your future, we're not talking about just today, not talking about the next five minutes, talking about your future. Then you need to connect with people who can help you go further than you can go by yourself. Someone who has prayed something that you've never prayed. Somebody who, is, who has seen something you've never seen, who has believed for a miracle like you've never, ever seen before. 
I mean, I got to preach this message to you guys sometime soon and keep waiting for it and asking God, when am I going to get to preach this? But I got to tell you some things that that God has done for me and my family recently. And, And, you know, one of the things I did is I connected with people who got the same kind of miracle I was asking God for, who got the same kind of blessing I was asking for. And I asked them to pray with me. You know what? I was, I was doing what he did. I was doing what Blind Bart did, is I was connecting with people who could help me believe and who had already gone further than I could go. And I was believing with them and, and asking for them, and then they were helping me and enabling me and believing with me to go further than I could go. So here's what, we're, what we've talked about so far. We need to find a way to bring Jesus home. Chasing after Jesus, we need to find a way to bring him home. And then we need to find people. Who can, be, who can believe with us and help us go further in our faith than we're able to go alone, okay? And then also, we need to be chasing Jesus in our health. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I also preached about this lady already, but I want to say this one little thing to you about right here. is because I think a lot of times we read this story or other stories. This was a woman who was sick for 12 years, had a, had a disease, and, and, and she was losing blood. And, and uh, this, this, this woman, she spent all the money she could and we read these stories where where then she says hey Jesus uh, heal me please and uh, well actually she doesn't even have to ask the question she she gets her healing and we, we look at it like she just kind of throws a Hail Mary at Jesus and and that's all it took but she had to she she had to fight to get there I I just see this picture of, again of Jesus just surrounded by people and here's this woman who, who who's had this weakness in her body now for 12 years and she's weak and yet she's having to fight her way to get through the crowd to get to Jesus so she can receive her healing she gets it's not like just a hey God would you touch me today it's not that it's like she had to fight to get there whatever it takes so we've talked about bringing Jesus home we've talked about connecting with people who can help us go further than we could go in our faith by ourselves, and we've talked about doing whatever it takes so we need to also be chasing Jesus for our friends okay now, now here's 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 the thing right this is this is this is one of the big ones I, I think this is one of the greatest needs of the church for outside of the building I think the world today needs Christian friends more than ever before I think they need people. You know, not only do I need to connect with people who can take me further in my faith than I can go alone, I need to be that person in someone else's life to help them go further in their faith than they could go alone. I need to connect so others can help me, and then I need to help others. I don't just come to church because I need something. I come to church because you need something. I don't come to church just so you can bless me. I come to church so I can bless you. That's, the, that's not just a pastor's job. That's all of us. We all need to have that attitude that we need to be those kinds of friends. And, and the, these guys, uh, which I preached that story, but they came, they came and they couldn't get their buddy in. He was on, they had him on a cot and they, were able, they, they weren't able to get in, so they tore open the roof and they dropped him down pretty much in the lap of Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And so he came there on the cot that his four buddies brought, but on, he rolled it up, put it over his shoulder, and he carried it home. He got his miracle. Why? Because of a friend, four friends actually, that took him further, took him to a place he couldn't go. Maybe he, he might not have even been in earshot where he could even yell out like blind Bartimaeus did. He couldn't chase Jesus the way you and I chase Jesus or even the way blind Bartimaeus did. But he had some friends that could take him further than he could go with his own faith. Now, I think we, 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 we all get a little nervous here and say, well, I just don't know if I could do that. I believe many of you maybe even this afternoon I believe every one of you maybe even this afternoon I was gonna say many of you this afternoon but let me say it this way I believe all of you 
And some of you, as quick as this afternoon, are going to have your next opportunity to impact someone's life for Christ. It may just be inviting them to come to church with you next Sunday or inviting them to come to your small group this week. You know, and you got to be in a small group to invite somebody to one, right? So you, you need to make, make that connection as well. Or it may be that you actually get the opportunity to share with someone how awesome Jesus has been in your life and then to share with them how they can become a Christian. Do you know how? It's really easy. You know, I say, I say it a lot at the end of, uh, end of our services, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Here's my paraphrase. You can say it this way. My pastor paraphrases this part from Romans that just says, all we got to do to be a Christian is believe Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is, the Son of God who died for our sins. And he got up on the third day so that I don't have to rot away in a grave somewhere. I can be with him for eternity. If you believe that, you're a Christian. That's all it takes. Some of you, I believe, will get that opportunity. But it's like, oh, well, you know, I couldn't do that. You know, if we're, some of us say, well, we're scared we'll lose our friends if we start talking to them about that kind of stuff. Or we don't know how. I don't, I don't know how to share. I don't know how to invite somebody to church. Yeah, we do. You already know how. You've already got it in you because we already know how to invite somebody to a Mary Kay party, right? Amen. <laughs> that chuckle sounds like somebody sells Mary Kay over here. Or we already know how to invite somebody to, be, to join our fantasy football league, right? Don't we? Yeah. Or we know how to talk our friends into buying something they don't even need because our kids are selling it at school. Right? Right? So we already know how to do that. Then we know how to invite somebody to church. And what do our friends need? Do they need more makeup? Do they need more Mary Kay? Well, you might say some of them do, yeah. But do they need more Mary Is that what they really need is more Mary Kay? Is that what they really need to be part of a fantasy team? You know, do they need more Mary Kay or, or, or do they need more, more real in their life? Do they need more, more uh, fantasy football league or they, do they need to meet the real King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do they need to buy more stuff that they don't really want or do they need to be introduced to the one who holds their future? I mean, really, what is it they need? I mean, this, this is the, the biggest thing we could do and share with people. The biggest thing we could do for them is to introduce them to Jesus, to bring them to church, and we already know how to do it. And so, you know, yeah, you're, you're probably already risking your friendships over Mary Kay or, you know, or, you know fantasy football leagues or, 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 or stuff that your kids are selling. If you're going to risk a friendship, though, risk it over something that is eternal. Let me say this. Let me say this to you. There, there has to come a day in your life, as a child of God, listen to me, there has to come a day in your life where Jesus Christ becomes more than a get out of hell free card. And that you have to say, he is not just my free ticket out of hell, he is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the Savior of this world, he was the creator of this universe, and he holds every answer to every question, he holds every solution to every problem, and he holds every miracle to every dilemma and destructive thing that is going on in my life right now. And you got, amen, you got to decide that he is more than just that get out of hell free card. And that he means more than that. And if he is, and when you decide that, then something inside of you has got to say, i got to tell somebody. I mean, how can we sleep if we really believe 
that there is a Jesus who wants to rescue people and we have friends that don't know him yet. How can we sleep if we really believe there is, there is potential eternal torment for people that don't know it and we have friends that don't know him? How can we do anything except say, why don't you join me at small group? Let me tell you about my church. Or my pastor said, if you don't know how to do it yourself, you can get that from me. So we got to figure out how to bring him home. We, we've got to figure out how to bring him home. We've got to go for our futures. You know, and we, let's, let's go on. I'll, and I'll try to hit these real quick for wisdom. You know, here, let, me throw this, let me throw this at you. You've heard, you've heard me say this. But this is another part of that sermon. I said I really want to preach to you about some things that, that when, when God was doing these, bringing these blessings to, to pass in our life, when, when God started doing this, one of the things I was praying over and over, and you, some of you, if you've been here, you've heard me say this, is God, you know stuff I don't know. God knows stuff you don't know. So when you're asking God for wisdom, you understand. It's like you're getting a chance to almost look into the future. You're not just asking God for a solution right now. You're asking, you're getting a solution for, you know, to tomorrow that you don't even know about yet. You're getting answers to questions that you've not even asked yet. He's got those answers to the questions that you don't even know to ask. He's got answers to questions that you're never going to figure out how to ask. And if you don't start getting those answers from him, you're going to get to a place eventually where you're going to be saying, why is this happening? And why did that happen? Why didn't it happen? Why couldn't this have happened? And you're going to have all these questions. Questions. And he had the answers a long time ago, but you just didn't know the questions then. And he wants to give you the answers to those questions you haven't even asked yet. So we pray as we chase Jesus, we, we, we chase him for wisdom, direction, purpose, and hope. People, people are killing themselves today. People are committing suicide today because they have no, no purpose, no hope. But we're talking about suicide right after the first service with a family that just had a suicide in their family. And they said, we don't even know why. And I said, you know, I said, you know what? In reality, there is no why. There is no reason for that other than the lack of people just don't have hope or they don't have purpose or, or give it chase after Jesus because he's got it for you or for your peace or for your joy. Don't rely on, like we were saying earlier, don't rely on other stuff for that. Chase after Jesus for it. And how to do that? Next, add that next line. Do it in prayer and fasting, establishing parameters. And if you missed that, that sermon about establishing parameters, that was just part of it, wasn't the whole sermon. Make sure you listen to that one. Establishing parameters, small group involvement, and reading God's Word. And let me add this, and this is something that I haven't touched on whatsoever in this sermon series until today. Recklessly chasing Jesus with consistency between the recklessness. Because here's, here's what we'll do if we're not careful. is We want to be reckless for God. And we'll be like Simon Peter. He was reckless for Jesus. And then the next day, he was flat on his face. Blew it. Messed up. You know, and, and sometimes it wasn't even the next day, it was the next moment. Like that time he walked on the water. Man, whoo, being reckless for Jesus. I'm walking on water. The next moment, he had started doubting, and he was sinking. And he was like this. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's intent for you. And you'll never grow like that. You know, and, and, and we don't even grow like this. Here's how we grow. This is the way we grow. And there's some ups and there's some downs. But each up is a little bit higher than the last up. And sometimes we get knocked down a little bit, but then we keep going up. That's the way we're supposed to grow. And, and I hope, I really hope I'm not getting jaded as a pastor 
that I'm not getting this attitude of, I heard that before. I really hope I'm not. But let me tell you what happens when someone who has basically been here and just up and down and up, and they, they tell me that, I'm here now, Pastor. I'm going all, all out, and, and they're going all of a sudden from zero to 100. Just all of a sudden, you know what I know? I know normally that's not going to last because there was no growth between zero and 100. There was just going to be reckless for Jesus. and That's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm not telling you to jump out of your skin and go do something crazy just so that because that's what I'm preaching. No, I'm talking about growing and being reckless, a little more reckless today than you were yesterday and a little more tomorrow and a little more next week and a little more next month and a little more next year about that growing and growing. I'm not telling you because, because if you try to go from here to here, you got to have that growth in between to get there. you got consistency between the reckless because when... Simon Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. From that point on, we don't see any more of this. We see this. Maybe he had a little, I remember, I remember one, one little setback he had, but he just kept on, and, and we, we look back and revere him today because of what he became. So who is our example? We're going to chase after Jesus. We're going to be reckless. Who's our example? I'll give, you, I'll give you a ton of examples from Scripture in this sermon series, right? But who is our supreme, ultimate example? Y'all scared? That's a trick question, right? Jesus, right? Jesus. He's our example. This reckless Savior that has died for our sins and wants to give us this awesome life that God has been dreaming for us since we were, before we were born. This reckless Savior, and so, so I got, the, you know, this last, last little bit, you know, what, what example from the life of Jesus, because I knew I'd only have a few minutes left when I got here, what one example from the life of Jesus, what one reckless example could I give you, uh, and to just, just to help you see just a little bit more about the reckless, and you know what the one, the one that just came to my mind, and I, it was the one, when I started thinking about something, but man, when it hit me, I said, this is it, that's it, you know what it was? It was when he cleared out the temple of the merchants, okay? So, so let, me, let me lay this one down for you just a little bit, okay? So Jesus comes to Jerusalem with the disciples, and this is the week of the Passover, just days before he's going to be crucified. And uh, he comes to the temple, and when he gets to the temple, there are merchants selling in the temple. Let, let me go ahead and read that first thing to verse 14. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Okay, so uh, when, when he comes to the temple today, this is what he sees. Now, now the temple, uh, I think sometimes we get in our minds that the temple is this one big room. Now, this would be kind of a good example for what it looked like. It wasn't this big, but it was really tall like this, uh, about this high, and uh, was a little bit, not quite as wide, but it was about twice as deep as it was wide. So this is a fairly good example of what of what it looked like you know just to give you an example that wasn't where they were selling because outside in the temple in the temple courts now there was a there was a court out there where the men you know regular I mean, you had to be a priest to go into the holy place you had to be a high priest to go in the most holy place and so the regular guys you know they couldn't come in so they had a little court out there then there was another courtyard that also had, had a wall around it to d divide it that was for the women because the guys were up here and the women were right here 
you know. And there was actually even a, a, a little room that they had for lepers to come because lepers couldn't be around everybody else. So they had a little room for them to come. And then outside of all this, there was another wall, and outside of all this were people who weren't Jews. And the Bible calls them Gentiles, or we call them Gentiles a lot of times. And, uh, so the non-Jews, so they, they had a, a place out there, and there was a wall around that. So all of this was the temple area. Now, no doubt, here, here's what happened. People come, and they're coming to sacrifice. And this is the Passover, and everybody needs to come and sacrifice at camp. And so they come to sacrifice. And, and you know, if you need to sacrifice a dove, and uh, you don't raise dove, what do you got? You got to buy a dove, right? And so there were vendors, merchants that were there that you could buy a dove. So you just, if you don't have a dove, you could bring your money, and you can buy a dove that you can then sacrifice to God. Now what happened though, this has been happening for a long time, but what began to happen is they began to encroach, they began to kind of move into the temple area and, and getting closer and closer to the actual temple. You know, and this didn't happen uh, this one time and it didn't happen overnight, it probably began to grow. But I can imagine the way it began to happen is, you know, once these vendors started establishing their place, and this was a big week, okay, the Passover was a big week, there'll be a lot of sacrifices, so this would be, I mean, if you're a person that sells sacrificial animals, this is your week and so everybody gets there getting there early you know got to set up my booth and everything and no doubt you're trying to get the best spot maybe and getting a little closer and a little closer to to all the where the sacrifice is going to be held because maybe if I get on inside maybe somebody who's sacrificed maybe they'll think uh, maybe they'll think about another sin that they want to sacrifice for and they'll come by another dove. So I want to get as close as I can. And so that's what was happening is people were getting in they were encroaching upon really encroaching on God's space they were getting into his temple but uh, it didn't happen overnight is what I'm trying to tell you is because I want you to understand because I think I think I've, I've always kind of seen or heard this maybe preach or even in pictures it just looks like Jesus flies off the handle loses his temper he goes berserk and starts destroying everything right I mean that's kind of the way I've always heard it. but that's not the way it really happened the next verse verse 15 says this Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Jesus didn't have a come apart, you know, and just all of a sudden fly off the handle. It said he got some cords and he made a whip. You know, he started like braiding a whip together. He took some cords. He, was, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't. Now, listen, if Jesus wants to lose his temper, he is the Son of God. I think he's got perfect right to lose his temper over something like this. But I don't see that. I see this is very calculated. He's, he's got a purpose in doing this. He goes and he takes the cords and he begins making a whip. He's getting ready to clean. He didn't just fly off the handle. And I immediately think of when I was a kid and my dad, you know, getting prepared. You know, I can only think of one time when my dad just ripped, you know, ripped his belt out, you know, and just and just uh, tore me up. Most of the time, it was, you know, it was like had, there was some purpose in it. There was some time, you know. My mom was always that way. I mean, my mom, my mom never spanked me within like 30 seconds or something. I mean, it went on and on, and we had to talk about it. We had to know why we were getting a spanking, you know. And I, I don't know about you, but. I, if you were like me, it's like, Mom, I understand. Just would you spank me and get this over with? Let it be done, you know? And there was purpose in it, though. It wasn't that she was angry. There was purpose in it. You know, she, she, she took her time. And, that's what Jesus is doing. He has purpose. He is not just angry. He, maybe he's angry, but there is purpose in it. And what is his purpose? Now, again, I've always heard and thought his purpose was that he was protecting his Father's honor and glory. 
that they had encroached upon his father's place because and the disciples they actually thought this as well because a few verses down from where we're reading right here they remember a scripture that talks about how the zeal or passion of the Lord's house has consumed me. That's what the, they saw Jesus. They thought, oh man, he has been consumed with some kind of passion or something. Y'all better get out of his way and let him finish what he started right here. You know, it's kind of that. He is consumed with, his, with passion for his father's house. And so they kind of thought it was just that he was protecting his father's honor and glory. But that's not the scripture Jesus quoted. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those gospels in the New Testament, those were four men who witnessed the life of Christ and they recorded the things that Jesus did. Now, look, one of them actually says, if everything had been written down, the books could not contain the volumes of what Jesus did. But they all wrote, and a lot of them wrote, like one of them would write this story and the others didn't cover it, but some of, some of them covered some and didn't cover others, and you'd have to read all of them to get as many as you could. But this, this story right here is one that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record. But Luke, what Luke, I'm sorry, John, what John remembers is he remembers the disciples saying amongst themselves, wow, he's like the zeal of the Lord, for the Lord's house has consumed him. That's what the disciples thought. But you know, Jesus, he quoted a scripture, but that's not the one he quoted. That's not the one, when he was doing this, when he made that whip and he started driving them out, he started throwing, off, throwing the money all over the floor and somebody lost some money that day. I mean, you don't scatter a bunch of coins and something doesn't get lost. It might, and if it didn't get lost by accident, I bet somebody picked up somebody else's money. So somebody lost some money that day. Some doves probably flew away. Some, some, uh, a ram might have gotten loose. Or some, some people lost some stuff. Jesus was reckless, but he was reckless with a purpose. And as, as he was doing all this and being this reckless, risking being sued or whatever, taken to court because of the money or the, the animals that were lost or, or the tables that were destroyed or whatever. And as he was doing this, here's the scripture he quoted. It's recorded in Matthew, but, but Mark and Luke also record this also. They, re, they remember Jesus saying this, that he said to them in the middle of him driving them out, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So what is Jesus doing? He's not defending, okay, maybe he's defending his father's turf a little bit and his father's honor and glory. But what he's really doing is he's protecting the house of prayer. Prayer is our pathway to God. And what he is doing is he was protecting your path to get to God. He was being reckless for you. He, was being he wasn't being reckless for God. Oh, maybe he was a little bit, but the scripture he quoted was he was saying, I'm being reckless for you. I want you to be able to pray. I want you to be able to connect with my father. I want you to be able to find me when you're chasing after me. He was being reckless for us to protect our path to God. And as a matter of fact, every single action that Christ took when he was here on the earth, all those that we can read about that we know about, every one of them, reckless and whatever, they were all for us. Every single one of them. As a matter of fact, I tried to think of something Jesus did that wasn't real reckless. And I got thinking, well, probably when he just took them off by himself to, hey, guys, we need a break. Let's go, let's go camp out over here and we'll get something to eat. But you know, one time, even when he tried to do that, the disciples went into a cornfield and got some corn and made some mad people mad that time too. He was reckless over and over and over, and he was reckless for you. Now, understanding that, how do you think? 
we should respond. The Apostle Paul called it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, our reasonable service. What should our reasonable response be to a God who was reckless about everything just so he could reach us? What should be our response other than, in my mind and heart, is to recklessly chase after him? What else could be our, our proper response other than recklessly chasing Jesus? You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.